guys, welcome back to Thick and Thin with me, Katie Bilotti. And it's just another average Thursday. You know, things are great. I'm trying to stay positive. Um, just kidding. It's like absolutely the least average Thursday we had in a very long time. A lot of, honestly, panic is kind of happening on social media and in the news with coronavirus and people just don't really know how to react. They don't know whether to carry on or to be super cautious and on high alert. And I don't want to sit here and spread fake news. I don't want to really scare you with anything I'm talking about in this episode. I never do. Even when something serious is happening, I want to remain very factual and just rooted in fact and not assuming things and not scaring you when it's not necessary. So I want to keep this episode pretty positive and uplifting. The majority of it, I'm actually sharing a very powerful story today, which I'll get to. But I just want to say up front, if you are scared or on edge right now because of coronavirus, your feelings are valid. It's okay. It's extremely valid if you are nervous or distracted or scared at this time when things are so uncertain and just the unknown is kind of terrifying, okay? I mean, I'm going to be the first to say it. I don't want to scare you. That's like not what I'm intending to do with this episode at all. I actually do have a pretty positive story to share um, about Clara Barton, the founder of the American Red Cross, which I think her story is really incredible and has some really great undertones that I think are beneficial to everyone to know. And I just love her story. And I've known her story for a bit. And someone suggested I talk about her today. So I'm going to get into her story and talk a little bit about that. But I think that this episode, what I want to do here is not not say everything's going to be okay, because I don't know that. But I think that there, I just want to make a very bold statement, I guess. It's not really bold, but it's just a statement, okay? There is a difference between taking something seriously like this, taking precautions seriously, doing, you know, the right things, the right steps in order to prevent yourself from getting coronavirus or potentially contracting it. There's a difference between acknowledging that it's a thing and taking it seriously and causing a panic, acting in panic, being hysterical, taking things a little bit, in my opinion, too far. And spreading fake news, especially if they have a platform, which all of us in one way or another have a platform, and sharing fake news, spreading stuff you don't know to be true, I think that's when it gets to the point of, you know, on the spectrum of being of being, you know, it's completely different than taking something seriously. That's, that's just like, you know, spreading the hysteria and the panic and panicking is something that isn't productive. Panic is not productive. Taking something seriously and spreading fact and things we know to be true is, is productive. Some people could disagree with that. That's fine. But for me, I, I'm on the, the latter end, or not the latter, the previous, the, the whatever the opposite of latter is, the first end where I am taking this seriously, believe me, but I'm not to the point where I am posting on my stories every five seconds, stirring the pot, freaking people out, posting all these headlines. And I've seen some influencers do that. And I'm not trying to shit on people. I mean, of course, like the news is news and people have their, you know, democratic right to... <laughs> post things and you have the freedom of speech to post whatever you want but I would just advise that before we know really concrete stuff which it seems like there's not much of it that's super concrete to the point where there's no conflicting stories to conflict with that concrete evidence there's like you know a few things here and there but there's not a ton to be honest until they have 
some sort of vaccine or cure or something it's I feel like it's just not really beneficial for us to keep fueling this terrifying fire with all these assumptions I think the assumptions and honestly I'm seeing it all mostly on Twitter I think Instagram is not as bad right now it's not great but you know it's kind of a scary place people are joking about it in memes and everything and I feel like people are you know giving meme accounts a lot of shit for joking about you know this whole thing I just think that like that's our culture these days it's like our way of coping with things is just making them into a meme and joking because what else are we going to do when you feel powerless you turn to something that you know which is humor and you know memes and things like that I just think that in this time when things are kind of crazy we can't really get mad at people for coping how they cope and handling this but also I think that we should consider it our just a part our part to not make this more painful and terrifying and contagious fear I mean I know that's like kind of human nature it's just like fight or flight and a lot of people are fighting on social media flying to the grocery store taking all the toilet paper I mean it's just there's a lot going on especially being in New York I mean a lot of people have been asking me specifically like how New York is handling this right now and I will say not well I mean not the state of New York person like just the people I feel like everyone is so just classic New York like it's you know busy busy it's go 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 this does not change anything half my friends were still at work today like it's a lot of people are just kind of refusing to accept this as something that's real and I I don't know it's lucky that I'm freelance in a time like this where I can you know make the executive order as my own boss to really stay inside stay away from people whatever I need to do and I know that's not a widespread thing I'm aware of that don't don't worry I'm like very aware all my friends um you know are dealing with the repercussions of just not knowing if they're working from home not knowing if they can not knowing just so many things so I it's just kind of it's up in the air right now I think that's probably the scariest part we just don't know how to prepare ourselves and what to do if we have it like there's just a million questions I'm sure Google Google's like blowing up every freaking millisecond of the day with questions about this because how else do we get our information we get our information from social media and from Google and that's really our modern way and I was talking to someone and we were like you know if what if this had been happening years ago when there was no social media would this be spreading like would the fear be as widespread and there's just so many questions but I mean we can't help it that's just our culture now but last night when I couldn't sleep I was just like tossing and turning for like so long last night I could not sleep and luckily I have this really great like smelling um essential oil next to my bed it's like the peppermint it's I think it's peppermint or it's eucalyptus no it's peppermint and I just like slowly smelled it like breathed you know tried to like count back from 100 trying to fall asleep I couldn't so I of course like rolled over took my phone and was just scrolling and scaring myself and then I was like you know what I want to kind of google google around here and see when the last sort of like flu epidemic was or like the the biggest one in New York or like you know things like that the last epidemic in New York and the last one was actually the HIV AIDS epidemic but before that was one kind of similar to what we're dealing with now the influenza outbreak which came kind of in two waves 
um, like the first wave, which wasn't as deadly, and a really deadly second wave that claimed like 20,000 lives or something. And I came across the story of the, you guys know how I am with history. I'm such a history nerd. So I need to know like, did this happen? And how did they, how did they handle it? Like, has something like this already happened? And like, what was the historic response? And something did happen like this. It was the 1918 Um, I believe they called it like it was called different things like the Spanish flu because it originated apparently in Spain or something Um, but it was basically the last major influenza influenza outbreak before they came up with the vaccine so what I'm talking about is the second major influenza outbreak in New York I don't have all the facts in front of me I'm just kind of reflecting from memory so I could be slightly off but I know it only really lasted for three months in um new york and because of how they handled it i actually have i do have one note here from that that i wrote down in my my notes on my phone like so late last night um so the health marshal or whoever at the time was quoted as saying the fact that the death rate was kept so low and the epidemic did not assume more alarming proportions is a wonderful tribute to the city's health control in years past so yeah, alleviating unhealthy conditions in the streets, tenements, shops, restaurants. Yeah, they really looked at like ventilation and like just making sure that that structures weren't like holding sickness in their walls and things like that. I mean, health was definitely a different sort of thing back in the early 1900s versus now, but I still think it's important for cities to just hold themselves accountable and things like that so new york is actually like scrubbing the subways three times a day apparently i haven't looked i haven't been there because i've been taking either walking or taking ubers which i don't know is much better but like the subway just a lot of people i just i'm trying to stay away but yeah so three months they were able to just very much like end the massive outbreak of influenza in new york city which initially came in by boat with all these sailors having it and they when the sailors got off the boat they were quarantined like at the docks and like given health like support right then and there like they were met at the docks by like emts and things like that to like quarantine them make sure it didn't spread but i mean of course it still did but it was like less of a spread than it could have been if they didn't, you know, really get on top of things. So they were super, they set up like testing clinics all over the place or just people like, you know, and they, they did what New Yorkers do. They rallied during a time where, you know, they rallied the resources and the troops and people were very like, they took it seriously. And I hope that people here will take it seriously. And yeah, 1918 was the last situation like this, like almost a hundred, however many years ago. And you know they everything's fine after that i mean after three months not saying that's how it's going to happen here i don't want to spread fake false hope but in a in a world where there was no technology like very minimal technology like the telephone and you know whatever but not what we have now not the extent of research and communication and all the, the hygiene even that we have now and they were able to handle it so i think that we are going to be okay not sure how long it's going to take it's probably going to get worse before it gets better but I think that we're going to be okay and I hope that I'm right when I say this but yeah so that's really all I'm going to say on the matter I think 11 minutes of me talking about coronavirus is enough and again I mean I saw this thing on Instagram today which again take everything you see on there with a grain of salt but it says viruses are contagious so is panic fear hysteria calm love enthusiasm kindness joy choose wisely you know a lot of things are contagious so make sure the energy that you're putting out there is informed but also 
not entirely panic and fear promoting, okay? We have our, a responsibility to the people that follow us, to the people that we're speaking to, to just not make this any worse than it has to be. It's already, already going to be bad. So, I mean, just spread as much positivity as you can. I mean, yeah, that's really all I can say at this point. There's not much else I can say. I've never experienced something like this before. So that is my piece on it. I thought it would be wrong not to mention anything about it. And I hope I didn't scare anyone. This is probably all stuff you've already heard or read on Twitter and probably worse that I have thankfully avoided seeing. Anyway, so I want to talk about Clara Barton today. She is the founder of the American Red Cross. She founded the American Red Cross actually in 1881, and she was 59 years old when this happened. So she was in her late 50s, basically 60, when she started embarked on the thing that would make her famous, which is the American Red Cross. And now we know how impactful the American Red Cross is and how it's helped so many people around the world with so many different tragedies, just all different forms, shapes, and sizes of tragedy. And she was the reason for that, basically, in in the uh, Americas. So she initially, I mean, her upbringing was super interesting and just how she was as a child versus how she was as an adult. So I, I just love her story because you can just tell there's certain undertones in her upbringing that really you're like ah okay this is why she is like this in her 50s and 60s you know it's because when she was a child like blah 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 I love when that's just so evident in someone's story like the I just love knowing why people are the way they are I think that's so fascinating to me so reading her story and knowing how she was was when she was younger just makes so much sense with where she went in her life so basically the story starts Clara was born in the early 1800s, so a long while ago. Um, I believe she was born in like 1830, 18, how old was she? 1820. She was born in 1820s because in 81 she was 59, so yeah, like around the 1820s. And when she was 10 years old, she actually assigned herself (laughs) the task of nursing her brother David back to health. Uh, He fell off a roof of a barn and got a really bad head injury. Um, And so people, basically doctors had, you know, looked at him, tended to him, said that he was too far gone. This is probably not going to get any better. He's going to have lasting injuries, lasting just effects of this head injury and basically she was like nah like there's still hope and of course it is her brother so she has to feel like that but she decided to take matters into her own hands and she learned how to distribute medication to her brother at age 10 and she also used leech techniques so do you remember I don't know if you've ever heard of this like I remember in middle school like reading about this like I think in like ancient times where people would use leeches to bleed someone like you know take out the toxins or bad things in their blood um, which was a standard treatment at the time which I think we've now learned is not good at all of course probably because we're not using it anymore but at the time that was what worked and basically her brother made a full recovery because she kept at it and didn't let him just go you know go without being tended to and I wonder what his what her parents or their parents were doing at this time I don't really know probably working or something I don't know what people did in the early 1800s definitely working people have worked their whole lives in every decade and century anyway so he made a full recovery and that was kind of when her her love for for healing people sort of began but it gets better so basically Clara overall her character she was very timid 
extremely shy. She got to the point where she would just dreaded going to school. She didn't want to go to high school, um, which of course she was a very bright person. And I think it's pretty obvious just like she's, she was a very bright person and she, you'll see with the rest of her story. And, but just the, the fact of the idea of being around so many other people and just the social element of it and just the, the pressure of having to answer questions out loud really got to her and she was super timid. So she got to the point where at school she was so depressed. Um, I think this is like a, a boarding school situation. So she was not at home and she was super depressed and she wouldn't eat. So her parents pulled her out of school and were like, you're coming home. Like this is not okay and she went home sort of so she went basically one of her cousins had passed away and left his his wife and his four kids on a farm and so her Clara's family decided to go live with their family until they were able to get back you know up and running again after the death of her cousin and they were doing a lot of stuff around around the farm so like painting repairing stuff and Clara was super persistent in offering help and like you know helping the family she felt bad for getting taken out of school she could tell her family was a little bit disappointed in her and so she really was helping out and she was journaling a lot during her whole life so we know her kind of inner thoughts and after the work was all done at this farm she was at a loss because she had nothing else to help with and I thought that kind of quote was such a monumental part of her story the fact that when you know something wasn't needing help something wasn't broken or damaged or needing her hand she felt just completely at a loss and so through her whole life even until like the age of over 80 she was just constantly helping people in one way or another even when she was ousted from the red cross which i'll get to that whole reason but basically so back when she was younger we're back to the younger days she was playing a lot with her her male cousins even being timid and shy she like you know got along with her her boy cousins i think the girls were what freaked her out but to be honest let's be real a lot of us are freaked out by other girls like being a girl and just the competition and the comparison and the gossip and sometimes just hanging out with the roughing it with the guys is is easier when you're younger so uh to the guy's surprise she was actually good at keeping up with the activities like horseback riding and just playing all these games and it was not until she had like injured herself that Clara's mom began to question her playing with the boys she actually decided that Clara should focus on more feminine skills so she invited one of Clara's cousins over to help develop her femininity. Femininity, I can never say that word. And from her cousin, she gained proper social skills as well. Can you imagine, like, being out with the boys and then you, you get hurt one time and your mom's like, okay, that's it. Time to be a woman now. Time to be fem- feminine. Let's call a cousin. But yeah, that was her life. So this is back in, of course, like the 1830s. So even after learning how to be more feminine and to be a woman, Clara was still considered damaged goods by her family because she was so timid, which I just hate. But like, I guess just, I mean, times honestly haven't really changed very much. I feel like parents are constantly kind of pushing their kids to get out there and to go to the playgroups and be social. And I know social skills really help you be a leader, but yeah, her parents were very persistent. So basically, to assist her with overcoming her shyness, her parents actually persuaded her to become a school teacher. So she was very just kind of determined to make her parents proud. That was a big undercurrent in this whole story. She really wanted to make her family proud. Family was super important to her. So she actually achieved her very first teacher certificate in 1839. She was only 17 years old. 
Like, imagine a 17-year-old teacher that's shy, like, good lord, I hope she was okay. This profession actually interested her greatly and helped motivate her. And I think, honestly, as a, a helper by nature, that's like her, her kind of her thing, it makes sense that she would latch on to teaching and teaching would be something good for her because of course at the end of the day the kids you know she's helping the kids and she's helping them see the world in a better way and get smarter and all these things so yeah she really did love teaching she actually ended up conducting an effective redistricting campaign that allowed kids of workers to receive an education so I'm assuming that kind of means, I remember reading about the children of workers, you know, when workers would have to bring their kids into the factories and to the places they're building X, Y, and Z. And the kids would have either be just not schooled at all or really crazy homeschooling at different hours. And I think, um, yeah, I feel like in this, whatever she ended up putting together, I didn't do much research into her campaign, but yeah, kids of workers were able to receive an education. So successful projects such as this gave Barton the confidence needed when she demanded equal pay for teaching. So basically, Clara Barton is a badass <laughs> demanding equal pay way back in 1839 or like 1840 probably. And the crazy thing is, is this is all happening. So like everything I've said so far, like it, we're still 40 years away from when she actually founded the American Red Cross. So she's already done all this really helpful stuff for people and super just like put herself, even as a timid person, in the position of taking a stand against things that aren't right you know like kids of workers not having an education and equal pay being something important to her so it's just crazy for me to believe that she accomplished all this again x years and she still has 40 more years you know from when she got her teaching license to when she founds or finds founds starts whatever the american red cross in 81 so I just had to say that. Okay, so 20 years after she got her teaching license, on April 19th, 1861, the Baltimore riot occurred and resulted in the first bloodshed of the American Civil War. So Clara was really known for her efforts during the Civil War. That's like a big thing. That's how I remember her being taught to me in you know middle school. Clara Barton was a hero of the Civil War. So basically victims within the Massachusetts Regiment were transported to D.C. after the violence at the Baltimore riot, uh, which was where Barton was home, you know, called home at the time. So it was kind of convenient for her to have been involved right off the bat in 61 at the first bloodshed, you know, wanting to serve her country. Clara went to the railroad station when the victims arrived and nursed 40 men back to health like right then and there and rallied for supplies thereafter. She started a makeshift American Red Cross situation in her house, like, all this stuff like just to support her country and I think you know I, I have a little suspicion that because Clara as a child never really made her parents proud like in the sense that I mean maybe I don't know I feel like she's probably one of those people like us like I mean like me that's super hard on themselves and just really wants to make people proud of her and I know of course she had a heart for the country as a lot of people did during that time and still now but I think there was also probably a small part of her that wanted to continuously help people because she just wanted to make people proud and wanted to just help everyone except you know besides her besides herself and 
I just I I really wish I knew her more like knew her deeper her journal entries are super kind of surface level I mean not surface level that's mean but she doesn't like really crack into her feelings I think she was a very serious person to be honest Um, but she actually so something a little lighter hearted and not so serious as she was doing a lot of work during the civil war um, she met a a colonel I think it's a colonel. I, for, I didn't write down his name because I thought he wasn't too important to this story because, of course, I want to focus on her, basically, and her amazing efforts and everything she did. But there was a man in the picture. But the sad thing is, is that he was married and she was, like, sleeping with a married colonel. Like, uh, anyway, it said in one of her letters that, like, I, I'm writing to, this to you in haste because I don't want your wife and kids to see it. She literally said that in, in the letter she wrote in the 1800s. Anyway, so, yeah, it sounds like she... I just my heart goes out to Clara Barton she did so much for other people and she was still sleeping with a guy that could not leave his wife I don't think it was very like a thing back then to really divorce but you know I digress okay so let's go back to the story in 1861 Clara was appointed by Union General Benjamin Butler as the lady in charge of the hospitals at the front of the army of the James Among her more harrowing experiences, this is crazy, was an incident where a bullet tore through the sleeve of her dress without hitting her and killed a man that she was tending to. I've actually read a couple things. I read that it it sliced through her cheek, so maybe there was two bullets, but nonetheless, she was like literally in open fire range and was still helping people. She was known as the Florence Nightingale of America. And so it seems like, I mean, this person who grew up super timid and afraid and just really, I mean, afraid, I think that's like the biggest word to say to describe how she acted and really did care about people, but was super timid. And I think that the war and just really having to go, go, go and save lives really made her bold. And she found her inner spirit of like, you know, who she was in times of terror in times of fear in times of uncertainty and so I think that's kind of an inspiring thing you know Clara was able to deal with all of this fear and spin it into something that was productive and she I I feel like just based on reading her diaries and her journals that she was super level-headed but she kind of like snapped herself out of fear fearful situations and she's like I don't have time for this you know here is what's going to be productive in this situation and here is how I'm going to help someone and I thought that was just a super inspiring so she was on the front lines in the civil war and then after that she was like you know what we we still have work to do there was missing soldiers that parents and loved ones couldn't find and so she helped people get reconnected and find out the state of their soldier like she did so many different things during the time between the war and when she eventually founded the American Red Cross in 81 so as she was aging as she was kind of she had a lot of famous friends she was you know a part of the suffragette movement she was just really passionate about any sort of inequality she was really passionate about those things and so she was just constantly helping people constantly helping people until she eventually started the American Red Cross and she did this for so many years so she eventually resigned in 1904 so she founded the American Red Cross in 81 something I thought was super interesting about her story that I want to talk about is kind of the ending to how she was forced to resign which I thought was absurd but I guess you know 
so many it, we've, we've been hearing this so much and I want to get to an, actually another story of the recent Outdoor Voices founder stepping or having to step down from CEO anyway that's a whole other thing I'm going to get into but basically what happened was she started kind of mixing professional and personal resources to help people towards the end of her career at the Red Cross I think she was also I mean she was getting older she was 83 people thought that her leadership style which people called egocentric was fitting poorly into the formal structure of an organizational charity so yeah things just started to clash towards uh, the end of her career and when she was she was 83 when she stepped down and she'd been forced out of office by a new generation of all male scientific experts who reflected the realistic efficiency of the progressive era rather than her idealistic humanitarianism oh that whole sentence just like wow of course she's forced out of the thing that she started so just like selflessly by a group of men in white lab coats thinking realistically and not humanitarianismly whatever the (laughs) whatever the adverb of that word is humanitarianism but is it adverb I think ly is an adverb right most of the time anyway whatever I digress so yeah that was kind of how she was forced to step down but even after resigning she actually founded the National First Aid Society so she was doing that until up until her death which I believe she actually died of pneumonia I do remember reading that I didn't write down the year but I believe it probably wasn't too far after and I actually just pulled up Google because it was killing me not to know when she died so she died in 1912 so yeah she was alive right up until the beginning of the influenza outbreak and all of that so she was alive between 1821 and 1912 she yeah was how old when she died she was 90 wow and she died in Glen Echo Maryland so interesting love a good Maryland girl okay so yeah there's a lot more I could say about Clara but I do want to read some quotes by her that I think will really just I mean, she's a powerful woman, and you will know that through her quotes. She said, or is, she was, but I guess she lives on in the American Red Cross. So there are a few quotes that I want to share that she said that were super famous, slash famous, but people probably haven't heard them widely used. So basically, in one of her journals, she talked about, I told you when she nearly got hit by a bullet, and the bullet hit the person she was tending to, and she basically told that, basically, sorry, I look at a, a lisp there, she basically told the story, and then she said, um, there was no more to be done for him, and I left him to rest. I have never mended that hole in my sleeve. And then she went on to say at a different point in her life that, I wonder if a soldier ever does mend a bullet hole in his coat. And when I read those two little passages of just the concept of bullet holes in someone's garment, I just, I thought of it kind of symbolically, like, when things happen, when you get hurt or when society is hurting, when, when a, quite literally a bullet hole pierces through something so close to you and your heart and your, your living, breathing soul, do you ever really forget? Do you ever cover that up? Like, does that ever go away? And it seems like symbolically, whoa, there's like a motorcycle outside. Symbolically, no one ever really covers those things up. People either embrace what they've been through and they're like look at this you know I this has been through I've been through this whatever but also I think it's just something where those memories like you can't 
just those never go away I mean it's something that when anything in history happens nowadays we always are saying like oh it's going to be in history book some kids gonna have to memorize that and make flashcards out of that because that is and history is quite literally etched into every person that comes after us and so the way that we handle things the way that we as a society kind of just interpret things and our form of action what we do to combat certain things literally and figuratively those are things that will live on in the next generation and the one after that and the one after that so quite literally those bullet holes never go never go away you never mend those you never patch those up because they're always there in the fringes of history and I don't think nor should we have to cover those things up I think you never forget those things and so I don't know if that was meant to be taken symbolically. I don't know how symbolic and how dramatic Clara truly was, but that's how I took it. So she also has some other good quotes. She said, I may be compelled to face danger, but I never fear it. And while our soldiers can stand and stand and fight, I can stand and feed and nurse them. I wonder if Clara, like if she was given the opportunity or like able to fight, because I know women were not obviously allowed back then. I wonder like if she would have like done it probably it sounds like it with her fiery spirit so despite being timid as a kid look at her now she would uh stand the line of fire so another quote she said was i have an almost complete disregard of precedent and a faith in the possibility of something better it irritates me to be told how things have always been done i defy the tyranny of precedent i go for anything new that might improve the past yeah and this came down to a lot of her medical techniques of course the american red cross would have really come in handy years and years before it was actually founded in 81 as i said um but yeah she she said a lot of other things she was super patriotic um she said i may sometimes be willing to teach for nothing but if paid at all i shall never do a man's work for less than a man's pay she was super passionate about equal pay i've actually seen that quote floating around in recent years because of the whole you know equal pay in Hollywood, equal pay in general, the pay gap and, you know, the whole drama that was happening and still is happening every single day with women not earning the same as their male counterparts doing the exact same job. So yeah, Clara was fighting that back before it was even like the turn of the century, like before it was even, like it was still 18, I think 40 when she started this whole just debate on equal pay. And so it's, it has taken still this long for it to be sorted out, which is interesting. I wonder what Claire would think of how we're dealing with this still today. But anyway, yeah, so that's the story of Claire Barton. I do kind of want to rewind a little bit um, back to where I was telling you guys about how she was ousted, basically told to step down from being president of the American Red Cross in 1904 because of her egocentric leadership style, which first of all, I wonder if they would be saying that like that was the reason if she was a man like I always have to say that always have to pull that card like if she was a man which would her leadership style be called egocentric or would it be called powerful and bold and the number of words that men are described as but anyway that was just an interesting little tidbit but it's actually eerily similar her story of having to be kind of ousted from her her thing like her freaking american red cross that she founded because of just the way she was running it and getting to taking things too personally and every story too personally and just combining resources and all the things she was doing that was not sitting well with the all-male scientific experts that took in uh, that took her place but it really was eerily similar to this thing that i saw basically this um 
so I screenshot it on my phone sorry I'm like taking a second to find this um so Ty Haney I believe that's how you say her name she founded the brand called Outdoor Voices which I'm not sure if you guys have heard of it some of you might have even heard there's been a million podcasts on her story of how she founded Outdoor Voices it's a really great story and I'm not going to go in depth on how she found it because that's a whole nother podcast to be honest I might even do another episode on her because her story is incredible basically I mean she just like saw a lot of holes in the industry of athletic gear and comfortable clothing that wearing athletic gear not just at the gym but just having comfortable clothes period so she really tackled that with outdoor voices and I can say I mean I don't own anything from outdoor voices but all my friends do I'm like somehow I just haven't gotten anything I don't know why because it's all super up my alley just like having comfy clothes I just have so much comfy clothing now because I'm freelance but Basically, she was at the front lines of just really pushing outdoor voices. Like she grew it. She now it's like a, a phenomenon that everyone's obsessed with. Like celebrities are wearing it. It's huge now. And it was all because of her initial idea and her initial pushing and hashtagging and social outreach and all the things she was doing. And recently she announced on Instagram in her latest Instagram post, you guys can even look and see her full post. She announced that she was being asked to step down. So I want to read a little bit about or just what she said in her Instagram caption that was super powerful. And it's just so eerily similar to Clara's story. So it kind of connects. And it's so interesting. I was like reading about Clara, wanting to post about her on this week's episode. And then boom, this post just like lands in my inbox by one of my friends that I had spoken about Outdoor Voices to earlier in the week. And it was just timing. It just made complete sense and just connected. So I want to read a little bit about what she said in her caption so she said at outdoor voices my playbook was different than what had been done before and this was intentional i believed in zigging when others zagged i love that and we built a beautiful strong hashtag doing things community with a powerful mindset that moves people by doing so this approach was uncomfortable for some especially those who had done it one way for a very long time and i understand and appreciate that i certainly wish i was more equipped for the trials and tribulations of being a manager of people I led with conviction and our playbook was working. Then things changed. And because I stood up for myself, my vision, Team Outdoor Voices, and early investors, I am no longer with the company. I started and I am labeled as difficult and mercurial. I have experienced both gender and generational differences firsthand and those have been very hard to navigate. I am unable to tell my story in full because of the documents I was required to sign. Wow. While being removed from her position, I forgot about this part, on maternity leave. She was on maternity leave when she was literally, like, asked to step down or, like, what removed from her position, as she said. However, in response to what co- continues to be a one-sided narrative and one in which I'm not able to defend myself, I'm proud to have strong conviction in my vision and legacy. There is an unsettling trend lately to interview ex-employees of female-founded companies and report their claims either at face value or without any context. There is an eagerness to label business decisions like purchasing glass-bottled water as a frivolous rather than ask why this is a smart investment because it's part of an environmentally-minded experience, XYZ. These are trends that will only serve to drive women back out of the boardroom. Even so, I remain excited and hopeful for my next chapter. I've made mistakes and will apply this to the lessons going forward. I have some wisdom to impart. Most importantly, go slow and be very thoughtful about who you bring into your garden. Okay, and I'm going to stop there because you can read the rest of the caption. But that last quote was like, bam. Like, be, wow. (laughs) Go slow and be very thoughtful about who you bring into your garden. 
I just love that quote so much. Maybe it's the garden part, but it's true. It's like you have to be really careful about who you like let into things. And I mean, I don't know if this was really Clara's situation, considering I think she was just so wanted any help and all help, especially being a nonprofit. But I just can't. Wow. I mean, she's right. I mean, these sort of mindsets of of interviewing ex-employees and just getting the, the the juicy scoop and the drama it's like when we're kind of like stabbing especially if women are reporting on these things it's kind of stabbing ourselves in the back it's like we are trying so hard to get this equality and this just the respect of of everyone I mean we're just trying to get equal respect that everyone else gets no matter their gender or race or anything everyone's trying to get equal respect some people it's easier for than others But I think that by just making things super one-sided and distorted, we are, like she said, driving women, more and more women, out of boardrooms. We're getting less say, and we're, like, constantly, like, moving forward, going back, moving forward, going back. It's like a game of fucked-up Mario Kart where, you know, we're we're in the the lead, but we're looking at the wrong screen some of the times. You know what I'm talking about? When you played Mario Kart and you were, like, looking at the wrong, like, part of the screen if you're playing one, like, with other people, and, like, you're like, oh, shit, I'm actually, like, in the water. But yeah, so I think that story is super important. I think just in general, like women, when women are ousted from their companies, pay attention to why. Pay attention to the words that are used to describe them in these cases because, I mean, it's just crazy how a lot of these women are described as difficult or egocentric or just all these phrases. And it's like, it just goes back to the, the, general you know what people are talking about these days which is so important of like if she were a man would they be saying the same thing I don't know so yeah I just wanted to share that little parallel because I thought it was just just so relevant and had to be shared maybe Clara's story is a little different than you know the ones that are taking place in today's day and age but I think it's still valid and I think that as we are dealing with these really uncertain things going on in the world it's important to just keep our grounds like stay as grounded as we possibly can stay as positive as we possibly can and remember that Clara Barton literally got almost bulleted on the front lines trying to help people like I think in this time we just gotta help people at all costs even if that just means being comforting and being understanding with people people are going to take this in a various varying ways like a various different directions of how they react to things and you can't criticize people too much for how they react to uncertain and tragic things because there's no like guidebook on how to handle things that have never been experienced before and we can't be hard on people for that so just try to spread as much positivity as you possibly can stay healthy wash your hands don't touch your face. Don't touch your eyes, your nose. Don't just, just wash your freaking hands. Okay. I think that's like the biggest thing. And there's really no other solid facts of things we can do besides just try to stay away from other people. If you're feeling sick, even if you're not, just try to, unless it's necessary, traveling, unless it's necessary, just better safe than sorry. You know, I think that's annoying but it's kind of true and I sound like my mom but yeah okay so that is it for this episode of thick and thin guys I hope you enjoyed I hope I kind of infused some hope into your lives with the story of Claire Barton there's a lot more I could have said about her to be honest her story stems much deeper so definitely do your research and read more into her and that is it for this episode guys I'll talk to you all next week bye